As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Super, super interesting, dope episode, guys, for you lot today. And with someone that has in their Twitter bio, president of Gen Z. That's a very bold claim, bro. Tell me how that came about and why you call yourself president of Gen Z. <laughs> I like it. I think it just added a little extra amazingness to my Twitter bio. No, I don't think I'm uh, <laughs> the president of Gen Z, but I do you know, see myself as one of the leading voices of our generation, of Generation Z and politics specifically. And I'm just really glad to see what, you know, what our generation does. There's a lot of new voices, bold voices out there coming from mm-hmm. Gen Z and we have a lot to offer. What do you think are like the kind of characteristics of someone who's Gen Z and politically engaged? What are the kind of hallmarks of that person? Well, we all seem to be depressed college students uh, or depressed high school students. <laughs> but I, I do think that, um, I mean, specifically leaders who are in Gen Z, I think we are we tend to be a little bit more progressive than the population as a whole, a little bit more left, for sure. But that's just mostly because we were born into a world, a society that's a little hard on us. And we're just figuring out, you know, how to navigate it. And we believe that there, you know, a better world is possible. And we're aiming towards that. So, okay. So how did you kind of get involved? Because you actually ran for office, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. I ran for the Florida House of Representatives in 2020 for District 94. So break it, break it down for some of our UK, I mean, many of our listeners are in the UK. So when you say uh, representative, do you mean like the equivalent of what AOC is today? Similar, but on a state level, as you know, we have a fifty okay. in the U.S. So we, you know, each state has their own government, their governor, okay, a legislature, and a judicial system. And yep. the equivalent what AOC would be, but on a state level here in Florida, okay. Florida uh, House of Representatives. I got to run uh, for uh, that office as well as in 2018 the Broward County School Board. And okay. In that endeavor for the school board, I received about 43,000 votes at the age of 19. Wow. Which was my wow. first endeavor. And this past year, in a in a smaller race, a race just as important, received uh, close to 10,000 votes as the runner-up for a state representative. And, wow. you know, the role of a state representative here is to write and pass laws and represent our community at the Capitol. And I know we'll get to talk about my agenda a little bit in this yeah. report, but I definitely think we just had an amazing opportunity, my campaign, to to really to really talk about a lot of different issues this year that we're, that we're facing from COVID-19 to housing to just so mm-hmm. much. I'm absolutely impressed. I mean, I'm 27. I've someone who's been in. Well, I've like I've, I was in youth parliament when I was in when I was younger, and I've always tried to be politically engaged. But to see like you doing it at a national level, like how did you get to where you are? Basically, what what were the things? What are your motivations? What are your inspirations? Let's go through that. Yeah, absolutely. So I started in politics around 11 or 12 years old. I know it's really early. 11! Yeah, um, I started by writing letters and correspondence to, you know, my mayors and city commissioners and politicians here in my community. I started yeah. by that. And at that time, they would write back. They would write letters back. They would write correspondence back. 
to me. And, you know, at that time I was a young person. So, you know, that really inspired me. And I was also close to around the time. You was a young person or you're still a young person? I'm still a young person, but I was a really <laughs> exactly, young person. Exactly. Very young. But I guess my, my biggest inspiration was the 2008 presidential election when Barack yep. uh, was elected president, the first uh, black president here in, in the yep. United States. I was a young boy. I was at that time around nine years old. And wow. um, although I didn't have like a, a super big interest developed in politics, I was just very, you know, intrigued by the fact that he was the first African-American president and, you know, being a young person, yeah. a, a young person of color who were facing adversities at that time, and that really inspired me to, to just dream bigger. And mm. I that was one of my inspirations to public service um, before politics, which was amazing. And from that point on, I, I remained involved, going to government meetings, participating, organizing, and eventually running for office. I mean, that's, that's an amazing story. I think it's, it's quite interesting you hear that because I've often said on this podcast in previous episodes that my inspiration to get into politics is also Obama. I mean, we can speak about how many of our hearts were broken once he became president, but I definitely think the impetus yeah. would kind of led us to, to kind of get involved in politics was definitely his election. So I'm definitely with you on that. I'm with you on that. So carry on. Okay, cool. So you then, you're kind of politically engaged, 11, 13, you carry on, you carry on. And then what's the process of you to get to running for a state representative? What's well, the, how uh, did you get to that? Well, you know, I had run for the school board and that was my first ever race for office. And extremely, you know, it, it was extremely challenging then at that time as well, because, you know, I was younger. It was my first time running at that time. And uh, mm -hmm. I didn't have the ability to raise money like all the other candidates. And I learned mm -hmm. a lot. And I, I figured out I had a lot of strengths and talents that I didn't know I had deep down inside. And it resonated with a lot of people. And, you know, I wasn't mm -hmm. planning on running again, to be honest. I was planning on just, you know, going to college, just sitting back for a while. I thought, you know, hey, I started so early and I got my name out there. I could just afford to wait a few years and come back yes. for a second run, you know, maybe when I'm 25 or something. But no, yeah. I thought, you know, there were just so many issues in my community. And I thought, why not take the time and opportunity to put myself forward? And then, you know, I announced at that time and then COVID-19 hit. And COVID-19 mm. was really a big wake up call, both for me, for our community, for our entire country. I mean, it really changed the way I saw my role in the, in, in the race that I was running. Um, it changed from just being about, you know, just public service and being about running for office to, to help people and became more about, let's talk about these issues that are really, you know, coming to light, these gleaming inequalities and inequities we're seeing mm -hmm. in our country, broad, just really broadly. It, it, this is the perfect time to talk about those issues. This is the perfect time to bring real bold solutions uh, for it. So the, the, the process of it was, uh, you know, it was difficult like before, but it was a lot easier because I was no longer a rookie. I was no longer a new candidate. Second time mm -hmm. uh, raising money was so much easier. It got a little difficult after COVID, obviously, because of course you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and they weren't able to yeah. give this much money. But even then we raised uh, close to $60,000, uh, um, wow! The year before uh, the the cycle before, I had only raised about sixteen thousand. So we raised wow. more than three times the money we raised before. We got so much support. We got national and international media attention. Our message just just went out all over the world to people, and I see it eventually got to you as well, which is great. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, when I saw twenty-one-year-old running for office, I did, I did all my kind of googling searches. I saw some, I saw some of your speeches, and I'm like, wow, like I'm impressed. I mean, I'm always trying to get people involved. Maybe I don't personally believe that the only way to kind of achieve change is through elected elected officials. Nor do I believe that the political process is the only way you can uh, kind of change things. However, I do love seeing people being, especially people our generation, 
for first and foremost, since you're the president of Gen Z, I'm born in 93. Can I, am, am I involved in Gen Z as well? Or have I missed it? Uh, I think you might have missed it, but we can give you an honorary uh, Gen Z card. <laughs> we can give okay. You <laughs> wow. I like, you're making me sound like a senior citizen. They say everybody older than, uh, than ourselves are just boomers. <laughs> You see everybody. <laughs> okay, don't 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 okay boomer me, all right? <laughs> no, but absolutely no, so again, so when I saw your story, I thought, no, nah, this is really impressive, man. To see someone actually run for office at a national at a, a government level was absolutely impressive. So thank you, man. Thank you for kind of being the force that you are. But I'm gonna have to let push not push back, sorry, I'm gonna have to ask. In your bio, it says queer. Queer, and, and then you have the pronouns which you like to be identified with, I'm assuming, here and they. Yeah. What was the reaction to that, to your, to what you identify as and being in the role that you kind of find yourself in in terms of running for office? It, it was different. I mean, I have a district that has one of the largest LGBT populations in, in the country. Okay. In it. And we have uh, a, I, I, this might sound very amateur. Sorry to cut you off. But what when we say queer, what does that even mean? We know uh, that includes LGBT people, but, you know, queer is a more encompassing umbrella term, especially for people who their identity or their sexual orientation may be a little bit more complicated than one single label okay. or one single term, you know, like someone just puts okay. gay or lesbian or, or bisexual on it and it might not describe their full identity, whereas I could be a, a gay man and also non-binary. So okay. it's, it's encompassing. And then it, it also allows there to be more inclusion, especially for people who just know they're not heterosexual, but they're not entirely sure, you know, what they're... Oh, okay. So okay. you may have people questioning or they feel like they're this thing, but they're not entirely sure and they're trying to figure that out. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to have to ask again, because it's something that I'm still trying to get my head around. Maybe I don't want to make it too much about this, but I'm just going to ask just for now. When we say non-binary, what are we talking about? It definitely depends on who you talk to. Everyone sees it a little bit okay. different. And it's always a, <laughs> some discussion around what the definition for, of it is. But for me, I believe uh, it, you know, it means you are identifying outside of the gender binary of male and female exclusively. Currently okay. in the world, you know, we have a, a binary system of you're either a male or female. But, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people, their, their identity, just they just don't identify as that or they don't see themselves in that type of situation. They could be uh, genderqueer, they could be transgender, they can be neither male or female identifying. Um, or you might have someone like myself who I have a deep core. I have a connection to masculinity. I have a connection to being a male. But I also see, you know, myself not being tied to masculinity tied to you know just being male i see more when i see myself outside of that as well that's super interesting but when we say gender we're talking about masculinity and femininity as opposed to biological gender well well, gender is how you express how you express yourself gender is just identity or uh, you can just identify as male or female there's definitely biologically there's sex which is male and female, but there's also different modes as well outside of male and female. You have people that are intersex, you have people which is not quite uh, entirely sure. And, and it's just a whole a wide variety of spectrum. It's a little different for, for everyone. Um, and then you have people we just identify outside of uh, outside of that, or we express ourselves differently. Okay, so, so essentially what you're saying is that you just identify or express yourself outside of what we've traditionally understood gender to be. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I, will let, I want to talk about your pinned tweet, which I've uh, got in front of me, which I'm going to read out for our listeners. It says, six years ago, I was a homeless kid showering at the beach before dawn and then going to school, hoping no one would notice. This year, I'm running to be the youngest Florida state representative. I know my story and I'm ready to fight. And without kind of as much as, as comfortable as you feel going into that, what is that story about? 
you being a homeless I, kid and then your journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I spoke about this uh, during a campaign extensively uh, through the media to okay. my uh, campaign, um, uh, to my supporters, to the community as a whole. You know, it's no secret I grew up poor. I grew up with not a lot. And of course, there were situations where, you know, we were homeless um, mm. as a young person. And I know that if it wasn't for people within our community, for others caring and trying to help, that I would have just been another statistic, another number, that my family would have just been another statistic, another number. But yeah. so many other people were there helping and, and, and helping guide. And I stayed in school and I got my degree, my uh, diploma, and I'm in college. And, you know, that's, yeah. the, that's really the story of America. That's really what America promises to everybody is everyone having that opportunity, regardless of where they come from. But we know for mm -hmm. so many, that's not the case. For so many people, the American dream is not real. For so many people, the American dream is not there for them. And mm -hmm. I think my story, you know, in politics, we, you have people that get in it for different reasons. They get in it because, you know, it's just something to do or they know they could win or they have the money or they're rich. Mm -hmm. And they have people who just, who generally are experienced with life or okay. are a piece of our community. People like myself, people like AOC, who was a bartender, people who grew up in, their, in the community who didn't grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth. They know what they're talking about and they're willing to go to bat for the people they, they're serving. And I think for me, that's what my story meant. Do you not feel, and this is something I always push back and something I kind of, kind of internally battle. Do you not feel like sometimes with the system being the way it is, the system being set up in a way to disadvantage poor and working class people, do you not feel that when we just get inside, we just become another cog of the system? No, I think you can be really effective within the system. It's just about understanding what you're trying to do and having uh, some type of vision. Like some people go into politics thinking they're going to change everything. You know, everything's going to be different. Mm -hmm. It's about being, be being realistic, you say. Yeah, and being realistic means understanding that, and, you know, and I knew this too, that if I was elected to the Florida legislature, a lot of my stuff would not have been passed. A lot of my legislation would have been rejected by the Republican-controlled um, House and Senate. And, we're, and if it passed mm. out of the legislature, it definitely would have been vetoed by our governor. But, you know, it, to me, it means having that voice there for people because working people just don't have a voice. Um, they just don't have anyone there going to bat for them. But when you have someone going to bat, some things can get done. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that with people like Bernie Sanders, who, you know, in Congress, he, for a long time, he was the only voice talking about certain things. Yes. And now everybody yeah. wants to be Bernie Sanders or, or somehow get there. But you know, I, I understood that, you know, there were certain things I could do for my community outside of, you know, trying to change the entire world or the entire state. There were things like appropriate yeah. that can bring back funds, certain schools, certain projects, assist my constituents in getting services, just being that voice there mm -hmm. for them. You know, during my campaign, I set that example entirely. During my campaign, we raised thousands of dollars outside of the campaign to help people during COVID-19 who were struggling with their rent, who were struggling with medical bills, with food were struggling with their essentials, who were, who were just really struggling, we managed to mm -hmm. assist those people, connect them to the services they need. We prevented wow. so many people from being evicted during a COVID-19 um, crisis, from being thrown out on the street. So it was it's really all about that mutual aid. It's about that, how you help people, how you go out and what you do, because, you know, people see things on Twitter, they see, you know, tweets, they see politicians saying certain things. And then sometimes yeah. they don't see the certain work that certain people are doing. And a lot of people didn't get to see the work that I did. Um, but it's all about setting that example. No, of course. And actually what you're saying is that you can definitely, and I agree with you, I think local politics is very effective and you can actually see tangible results. So then do you ever see yourself going into more national politics than let's say becoming a, a congressman for the actual state, for example? Is that something yeah, you would like I, to go into? I can see it for sure. I'm a very 
loud person. I'm a very, you know, I'm, type of person. I'm not afraid to fight and go for what I want. And I've had opponents who told me after the race that I ran against them that, yeah, I was a tough person to run against because I don't nice. hold any punches. I, I really stick to my message. So I can see myself doing that, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to go wherever my community takes me in and in, in whatever role that, the, that ends up being. It could be national, it could be local, it could be state. It's just where I see myself being the most effective. Sometimes that's mm-hmm. at the local level. Sometimes it might be that be at the state level, and it's just depending on the time, the place, and where we are in history. Absolutely, absolutely. And then what I would ask, then let's let's talk policy. What are some of your kind of key policy, or what kind of the key issues for you? Yeah, uh, we had a we had a lot. The first one definitely being healthcare as a human right. We saw this year the clearest example of our broken for-profit healthcare system in its mm-hmm. entirety, like right in our face. I want to I want cut in there. I want to interject there because pe- many people who are listening might not understand. I said that a, a huge part of my audience is in the UK, and, and I'm sure you're aware in the UK we have a free health care yeah. system. We're trying to be absolutely like free. <laughs> <laughs> we have absolutely free. So talk us for those who don't know. When you go to the doctors, mm-hmm. do you pay there and then, or and you cannot be seen, or what? What? Talk to me through your system. How does it even work? When so you mean it, it's not free, what? How does it work? So it, it really depends on you know what you're doing, but in many cases you will get a hospital bill in the mail, and wow. if you get that bill, sometimes they can gouge you. And sometimes you have people who needs you know who need they got sick, they needed to fill the prescriptions, and they or they went. Or let's say someone went to the hospital, they just were a little sick, and now they have a bill for thirteen thousand dollars in the mail, or they just need to get wow. a prescription bill, and the prescriptions cost two thousand dollars or $800 for that, for that matter. And they're sick and they have to choose between rent or choose between food or choose between their medicine. They have to choose between all of these different things. And they're not entirely sure. Well, will we be able to afford the, the lights this month, the water, the rent? Uh, no way. And then you have people who need those life-saving medical procedures and they just can't because sometimes those things cost $400,000. And it's not because it costs $400,000. It's because you have the pharmaceutical, the greed and price gouging of the pharmaceutical industry, which is criminal. You have the, the medical technology companies that are trying to make money. You have certain doctors trying to make money sometimes. You have a, a broken wow. uh, healthcare system and you have a, a insurance, you know, insurance at the middleman between people getting their care. People, you know, should be able to just go to the doctor like they do in the UK and other places and just get the care. But here we have. A so are you actually saying people are actually dying because they cannot get full treatment? Is, oh, it, is, yeah, it, that, is have, it that level? Oh, yeah. We have over 40,000 people that die every year because they, they either didn't get to the doctor or they just didn't have the medicine because uh, of cool. lack of access to health. And then you have I mean, many other people who just get sicker and sicker because they can't. I know. I mean, I heard recently something to do with the price of insulin or something like that is right. so high. It's incredibly, and incredibly broken. And, and, you know, that's just one. That's just one example. Health, I mean, we ran on healthcare because that was the biggest example, especially during COVID-19. But housing was yes. a big one too. Housing was huge. You know, we saw so many people, you know, who were going to get evicted. And we saw how landlords just wanted to make their bucks, but they weren't thinking about the people who, who just couldn't work. And you had a lot of people mm-hmm. who didn't have their housing anymore. And because they lost their job, they lost their health care. You had so many people who just had a broken, we had a broken unemployment system. There were just so many different issues. So we wanted to tackle the issues that really affected the community the, mo- the, community the most. But we also mm-hmm. went into other issues uh, that affect the community, such as climate change and water quality, quick sugar and its role on our water quality, infrastructure. You know, th- these are next generation issues people don't talk about. Like, will we have enough drinking water? 
for the, the people exactly. of our community. And, you know, that's an important question that not enough policymakers ask that question to, but it'll be left up to our generation to figure that out. A hundred percent. I mean, I think absolutely, since you made me an honorary member of Gen Z during the course of this chat, yeah. I definitely feel the energy needed for a lot of these kind of radical ideas to be even spoke about and implemented is definitely going to come from our generation. I sincerely believe that. My question is then, when I look at American politics, I see how divided it's become and how polarized, you know, things around defunding the police. So we're going to have, then you've got the progressives and then you've got the liberals, neoliberals, then you've got the right-wing conservatives. And, and it seems so polarized, yeah? And I do believe politics is out of persuasion and politics is, you know, Joe Biden said it in his, um, victory speech you know um, I'm going to govern as the president of the American states but do you think America right now as you see it is too far gone to ever have some kind of unity again no I don't and the example I give I'm not just as a history major but I, I give the example that when we look throughout history we've had much more perilous times than we have now and much more troubling times and mm-hmm. the times that were, we were you know just as or more divided than we are now and we managed to get through it now, nothing's ever going to be perfect. No one's ever going to agree on everything. You know, some things are just going to happen. But I want us to be able to look back in history and show that we did the right thing, regardless of what that of was. Course. Sometimes of course. You know, people will think that's, that's the left-wing thing, that's the right-wing thing. But, you know, I, I just say sometimes enough with the labels on it. It's just about doing what's mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. I think that I still believe in America. I still believe in America's promise. And I know I say that a couple, uh, you know, a lot. But I really do because I look out there and I see these young people who are not engaged in that that politics at the same time. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. are, these young people are not engaged in politics, and it's not because they don't want to. They're out there. They're working hard. They're trying hard in a system, a society that just isn't working for them and isn't thinking about them. And COVID nineteen showed that wide open to everyone for us to see. And they're doing what they can, like the kids that are, you know, undocumented immigrants, the DACA kids, kids yes. out there that are going to school, that are, you know, they're out there working at young ages to help pay the bills in their households. I see those young people working hard and doing their part, and they don't have a government speaking up for them, but they're still working together and they're still doing it. And I see, I don't see them bickering in the same way. And I, I say that's just really promising because we have a, a new generation of people who are not hate who are not into the hate, who are not into the bigotry, who are not, who have time. Mm. And I think it's about, it's, it's just really a matter of time. And I really think America is going to be coming back for real and better this time. And, you know, I know Joe Biden has said that before. We were not there yet, but I really do think that we'll come back better. Oh, that's super interesting. So, I mean, I somewhere, I, I love the optimism in your voice. And I kind of stand in between, somewhere in between being optimistic, but being a realist at the same time. So um, but we can discuss that further another time. But I would like to ask you, how important do you think it is to have kind of bipartisan relations then? I think it's very important. I think uh, it's important to, to both have bipartisan relations, but also to stand your ground and, and okay. to know when to fight, to know when to compromise and know when to call it a day. But there are a lot okay. of people out there where we agree on a lot of things, who are Republicans, who might have different politics than me, but we, also, we all understand that climate change is an existential threat. We understand that, hey, we might not agree on a solution right now, but we all know the healthcare system is broken and ineffective. We all know that our infrastructure is not working. We all know that the housing crisis is a, a clear example of something that should change. And we all know. We know what the okay. problems are. And it's not that people don't know what the problems are. You know, we know, we all know what the problems are. And it's just having the courage to really work together to get it done. But then how about, let's say some, like, how do you, since you're in politics, then let's say the issue of white supremacy, 
how do we begin to have a dialogue with someone who dis, who, who completely dis, uh, doesn't even believe the existence of something called white supremacy? It's really hard. It's really difficult. But I, I've seen it. I've seen people change. I, it's it's really about education and it's really about people having an open mind. But, you know, a lot of people just don't have okay. an open mind and it's hard to get to them. And sometimes you can get to them and sometimes you can't. But you just got, we just have to try. We have to try. And sometimes the way you do that is by shaming them and letting them know this is wrong. This is un-American. This is not right. And sometimes the way to do it is by educating them if they're open to that. It just really depends on the person or the group or, or, or what it is specifically. But I think that a lot of people or, or most people are starting to, uh, to, to come to terms with you know, the fact that our country has a, some really dark chapters in it and we still have dark chapters to rewrite or not rewrite, but mm-hmm. you know, new chapters to, to, to write. And we, we don't have to, it, it, I think people are starting to understand, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Like it really mm-hmm. does not have to be this way. Things could be better. And when we understand that, I mean, the possibilities are limitless at that time. We can really get anything. Oh, absolutely. And then finally, I would ask you to those, what would your message be to those young people who are so disillusioned, who believe that nothing will ever change, there's no point of getting into politics, there's no point, we're kind of doomed. What would your message be to them? I say to them, well, I say two things. First, look back throughout history. And I say to them, things can change. And I know it because things changed in my life at one time. There were times in my life where mm-hmm. I, I thought, you know, this is the end or nothing's ever going to change, or this is all I'll amount to. You know, I'm black. I'm, I'm probably going to end up being here, being in jail, being dead, or, or in some certain situations. And I defy those odds mm-hmm. this day and still do. And I know that, you know, that may not be the case for everyone, but things can change. But in order for it to change, we have to fight and work for it. Nothing, you know, nothing comes without hard work, really. And I don't say that in a smart way to people. I say, really, the people who have changed things the most throughout history had to really, really work hard to, to change those things. They had to really fight. It didn't come easy. And I say to them, when it gets the hardest, that's when you know you're the closest to, to, the, to the goal. Okay, nice, nice. Well, I love the optimism, man. You are a force for good. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Guys, I will post Elijah's socials in the comments. You can hit him up on, on social media. You're listening to The Malcolm Effect. Please like, comment, subscribe whether that's on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Until next time, thanks so much for speaking to me, bro. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on.